All right. So church during the Winter Olympics this year, I don't know if you guys were tuned in or not, but there was a commercial that came on. And man, I'm never going to forget this commercial. I had Danielle Umstead on the commercial. She is a Paralympic skier, and this was her third Olympics, and she walked away with three medals, which is amazing. Like, you don't even know yet how amazing. You're getting ready to know how amazing, but right now you probably don't know how amazing, so I need you to help me. If you're passing the offering plate, you might have to call timeout just for a second. Here's what I want you to do. Everyone close your eyes. Like, you got to play. I can see you. Close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. Okay, as you close your eyes, what I want you to do is I just want you to listen. I want you to think about everything you hear. Maybe you hear squeaky chairs. Maybe you hear the sound of the person breathing next to you. The sound of my voice, hopefully the air conditioner. I want you to think about it. Now imagine, imagine hearing the sound of skis on snow going down a mountain at 70 miles per hour and not being able to see a thing. All right, church, back up here. Isn't that incredible? That's Danielle. Like, Danielle is an Olympic skier, but she's blind. And so she grew up in Texas. And I went this week, and I watched all these interviews with her. She says, I grew up in Texas. I wasn't born blind. But as I was growing, like, I lost all of my eyesight. And she said, I'll never forget when my dad came home and said, honey, I've got a great trip planned for us. We're going to go skiing. It's like, Dad, I'm blind. I can't see. Like, how am I going to go skiing? He's like, no, this is going to be great. He took his daughter skiing, and she fell in love with it. But all she could do is listen to the sound of her dad. Her dad would have to tell her when to turn left, when to turn right, what to do. And as she kept going, like, she just got better and better and better. And so here's her with her husband. She married a guy named Rob. And so now skiing at the Olympics, you'll see he has a microphone. And he talks to her, and she's got, she's got right in her ear. She can hear her husband's voice, and he tells her when to cut left and when to cut right and when to stop. Like, she has to trust her husband and follow him no matter where, 70 miles an hour going down a mountain, can't see. That blows me away because here's my attempt at skiing. This is me. Yeah. And I was on the west side of the state where there are no mountains, y'all. There's like little hills. And this is what happened to me. No joke. I wish I could say that this was all a big joke and I made the video and the ski patrol. Nope. This was me trying to ski and going down the hill. I think I kicked myself in the head. I don't know. I certainly did tear my meniscus through the process. And I can see. Y'all, that's the bad thing. I can see just fine. You know, Danielle does it with no eyesight. And so we can figure out the lesson just like that, right? The lesson's not don't go skiing with Billy. Like, there's, there's a bigger lesson. The, the lesson is, as followers of Jesus, that's how we want to be. As followers of Jesus, we want to hear the voice of our Heavenly Father so clearly that when He says left, we go left. When He says right, we go right. And when He says stop, we stop. And again, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Woodside Romeo. I'm Billy Creech. I'm your campus pastor. And I missed y'all last week. I did. Last week, I was at a marriage retreat with 10 other couples, and we had a great time. We were at the lodge, and it was it was really a beautiful time, but I, I miss you, and so I'm fired up to preach this morning, and I'm really excited. If you're joining us for the first time, we are getting to the end of a sermon series. We've been in this series for a while, talking about the life of Samuel. In fact, we finish the series next week. We'll be done. We'll move on to another message. If you have your Bibles, 
Let's go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel in the Old Testament chapter 15, and whether you're on your app or in your Bible, 1 Samuel 15. As you're turning there, I just want to set the stage for you a little bit. Brian Wood is one who preached last week, and he told you how Israel, God's people, started to pray and cry out to God and say, we want an earthly king. Before that, there, there was no king in Israel. They were a kingdom full of priests, and God was their king, right? So they just had religious leaders running the country. And so they started to pray and say, God, we want a king. And it was in that spot that God answered their prayer, and he sent Saul. And I know you heard this last week, but 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2, describes Saul as a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than all of the people. So what the Bible just said is Saul was exactly what you would pick to be your king. You would want someone dashing, right? You'd want something tall. You would want someone strong. You would want someone that looked noble and mighty. And that's exactly what Saul was. And so as the king was chosen, Samuel, the prophet, here's what he did. He's this religious guy. What he did is he said, I'm going to step back. I'm going to take a back seat because, Saul, you have been anointed as king. So I'm going to let you rise up, your authority rise up, and I'm going to take a back seat. He said, but before I go, I just want the people to hear this. 1 Samuel 12, 14 and 15 says, if you, he's talking to the people, if you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reign over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. So Samuel says, I'm going to step back, but the first thing you need to remember is you're going to need to remember to fear the Lord. Now, that's not a fear like hide the kids, hide the wife. It's not that kind of a fear. This is a different kind of a fear. This is a fear that says, like, I'm going to take God's ways and place them here, and I'm going to be obedient to that. I'm going to respect and honor and be obedient to the ways of God. He says, now, if you do that, if you do that, things are going to go great. Like, y'all just going to kill it. But if you don't do it, there'll be consequences. Some will be just natural consequences, and some will be consequences that God will be bringing. So Samuel is ready to step back and allow Saul to lead. Here's Saul, this leader with so much potential. But have you ever seen it? Maybe it's you. I hope it's not you. Have you ever seen those people with just gobs of potential, like crazy amounts of potential, and they just never quite seem to hit the mark. Have you ever seen those people? Like, you're like you, you've, got, you've got the position. You, you've got the education. You've got the looks. You've got, you, you've got everything. You've got the authority. You've got the money. Like, you've got everything you need just to knock it out of the park. And yet, you, you're not doing it. And for some people, they never, ever, ever seem to get there. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, they just never. That's Saul. Saul has everything going, but we know what his downfall was. His downfall was he wanted to please people and not God. Which brings us to our big idea today. Our big idea is that when we live to please people, we fail to please God. In fact, if there's one thing you can take away today, I want it to be this. If you live to please people, you're going to fail to please God. Now, sometimes, I just want to call something out. Sometimes what happens 
we get to church and you listen to me do my thing and I start my rhythm going and you start listening and you're just kind of doing this and you're thinking, what's for lunch? I wonder what's for lunch. It's not as hot in here as it normally is. You know, and so you're daydreaming just a little bit and then you're like, oh, I'm back because he said something and, and, and I'm back. And so we just get into this rhythm. I just want to acknowledge that if a king with all the good looks, with all the position, with all the authority, with an anointing from God, if a king can fall into the trap of living his life in a way that says, I just want, I just want to please people. I, I want to hear the applause, whether it be family members, whether it be friends, whether it be people I work with, or people I'm school with, whatever. I'm living to please people, not to please God. If a king can fall into that trap, so can you. And so can I. And so together, both of us, our ears should all be perked up to what the Word of God is going to tell us this morning. We want to look at, at dangers to the symptoms of pleasing people and not God. The first we're going to see is people-pleasing will downplay God's commands. People-pleasing will downplay God's commands. So 1 Samuel 15, we're going to start in verse 1, and I'll just keep going from there. So Samuel, the prophet, said to Saul the king, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey." So before verse 1, Saul is there as king. So Samuel said, I'm stepping back. I'm letting you reign as king. He's not there as a backseat driver. He's not there saying, hey, let me tell you my thoughts on this. Let me tell you my opinion on how things ought to go. In fact, you're going to see that he, um, he's going to speak words of the Lord at this point. So this is where Samuel steps up and says, okay, Saul, this one's not from me. This is from God, and you need to hear this. And he starts out by letting him be reminded of the position and how everyone got there, right? You've been anointed by God. You're here as a leader, but your job is to listen to his commands. In fact, he says that, doesn't he? He says, listen to the words of the Lord. There's a difference in hearing and listening, isn't there? There's a big difference. I've got this new puppy. I've had him like a week now, and... um. Guys, he's not very, he's pretty smart. Like, he's smart when he wants to be smart. Other times, he's not very smart. He's fluffy. He's a standard poodle. He's about that tall right now, but he'll get, he'll get bigger. Like, so he's, he's a wee little fella right now. But when we go outside, he's smart. He knows his name is Sammy. He knows what his name is. He knows how to sit. He sits all the time for me. Like, he's real, I know I have high expectations, but he knows how to sit. He knows where he's supposed to go to the restroom. It's outside, not in my living room. He knows where he's supposed to do his stuff. But sometimes we'll go outside, and we'll be in the front yard, and he'll be running around. You're going to hear so many dog illustrations over the next year. Like, just get ready for it. So he runs around, and he eats Amy's flowers, and he eats the leaves off the tree. He loves leaves, which is so weird to me. But every now and then, I'll want him, and I'll be like, Sammy, come. And the dog will all of a sudden be like, I don't hear you. I can't hear anything at all you're saying. I need to eat this leaf right now because this is way more interesting than anything that you might do. So I'm just going to eat this. The dog has no problem with his hearing. He can hear just fine, right? Anytime I feed him, he hears. Anytime I squeak the toy, he hears. Nothing wrong with his hearing. There's a difference in hearing and listening, right? Saul is told, listen to the words of the Lord, and then what he's told is, he says, this all has to do with Amalek. God says, 
I, I want to bring my judgment onto Amalek. If you've been reading the Bible for a long time, you probably already got this note written down somewhere, but Amalek is Esau's grandson. He's like Jacob and Esau, that Esau, it's Esau's grandson. If you're brand new to the Bible, think about it like this. You've got a family tree, right? We all know what family trees look like, and you've got branches here and branches there and branches going all over the place, right? Well, this one particular branch, it has this family line where all the descendants are very aggressive, physically aggressive, toward God's people, toward Israel. And so God says, for a while I put off judgment, but that time's over. It's time for judgment. Here's what he says. He says, now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. In case you missed it, God said, kill all of it. All of them. And I just, I want to acknowledge that for our 21st century ears, this is a very, very, very hard text. Because you see, a lot of times what I like to do between services is I like to go and poke my head in all the rooms where the kids' workers are working and check out the kids as they're excited to be at church. Uh, except for that one room. That one room, there's some separation anxiety they're not always very happy, but most of the rooms are really, really happy to be at church. And uh, so you read this, that God said, kill all of them, kill the animals, kill the men, kill the women, kill the children. And we, we struggle with God's total and complete judgment. I think sometimes what happens when we hear a text like today is we start to ask questions that the text has never meant or intended to answer. Does that make sense? Like, we have questions, like, why, why God's complete judgment? And yet, that's not really what this, there, there's an answer to that. This isn't the sermon for that. But I want to acknowledge that, that this is hard. This is a very difficult text. It's a hard text. And there's an answer to that question. But this is a difficult text not meant to answer that. And as followers of Jesus, there's a couple things we need to remember. One, we need to remember that all Scripture is useful for teaching, and what that means is you can't just take the hard text and say, I'm not going to read that, and I'm just going to skip it. I just want to get to Jesus. Let's just go to the Sermon on the Mount. Let's go to the book of Matthew and get there, because that's a lot easier for me to read and understand, and it, it, it doesn't make me uncomfortable. You know, so I'm, going, I'm just going to skip. You can't skip the hard stuff. You can't just skip it, right? All Scripture is useful for teaching. I think what you're going to find, and you'll agree by the end of the sermon, yes, that was very useful for teaching today. Yes, that applied to my life. The other thing you need to remember as a follower of Jesus is God has judgments against Israel. He has promises to Israel. You can't just take everything that says Israel and switch it to the United States. That makes sense? Like you can't say all the promises to Israel, they're promises to us. All the punishments to Israel, God's going to punish us. Like, no, okay, that was Israel. But we want to look at their success and their failures and let it teach us. Like, we want to learn from their success. We want to learn from their failures. But you can't just copy-paste. Like, you can't do that. And finally, today's passage is not permission for you to look and say, hey, I got some knuckleheads in my family. I think it's going to be my job to lower the boom. I'm going to bring the judgment on my family. You know, I'm going to cut them off and tell them how it is and tell them it's God's judgment. And you can't do that either. 
right, as followers of Jesus, what's it tell us to do? Jesus says that we're supposed to love our enemies. He says we're supposed to do good to those who persecute us. We're supposed to die to ourselves. That's what we're supposed to do. So we need to remember our calling. Our calling is to love our enemies. And so here we go back to the king. I just needed to chase that rabbit for a second. Back to the king. He's heard, he's heard the voice of the Lord. And he's heard my job is to take these people who have been striking fear for generations upon generations upon generations. They've been making war on God's people. And I'm supposed to go and stop it. So look at verse number 4 through nine. It says, so Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 men on foot, 10,000 men of Judah. And then Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. And then Saul said to the Kenites, go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you show kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah to as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And then he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless they devoted to destruction." So there's a lot of weird words there, right? A lot of, lot of foreign-sounding cities and people groups and names. But basically, here's what happened. Saul the king was told, I'm going down to the Amalekites. And so he, he gets his army together, right? He's got his army together. He's laying there in the valley, and he's waiting. And as he's waiting, he looks up, and he goes, oh, the Kenites. My, my battle's not against them. I'm not supposed to bring judgment against them. So he's like, hey, y'all. My war is not with you, but it's getting ready to go down. Like, we're going to have a rumble right here, so, so move on out. And so it's like, you know, the, the Wyatt Earp shows where, like, when the cowboys, and then all of a sudden people are shutting the doors and pulling the shades. That's what he tells the Kenites to do, right? He's like, get out because there's getting ready to be a fight. And so they're like, <laughs> thanks, and they get out, right? So they're gone, and now we have the Amalekites fighting against this army with the king in command, and the king has this incredible victory over this huge area, this monstrous area. And as we're reading, we almost look and say, here is the earthly king that God has anointed, and he is doing it. He is, he is just doing exactly what God told him to do until he doesn't, right? Because then he doesn't. Verse 8, all of a sudden, it's almost like it's almost like Saul says, well, my plan is kind of better than God's plans. Like, I think I might be smarter than God, maybe, or something. All we know is that by verse 9, he takes King Agag, and he doesn't kill him. And we're like, well, we don't, we don't really know why he didn't kill him. He took him prisoner. Did he take him prisoner because he was going to sell him for a king's ransom? Maybe. I don't know who he would sell him to because everyone else is dead. So I don't know what the plan was there. Maybe... It was like, I'm a king, and you're a king, but yeah, I defeated you. So it's rubbing his nose, again, with the dog illustration. But, you know, maybe it's rubbing his nose in it and telling him, like, I beat you, ha, ha, ha. You know, maybe, I, I don't know. We don't know for sure. All we know is he was not faithful to what God told him to do, was he? He was not faithful. To, and then the livestock, basically anything worth value, they said, we're going to hang on to that. If it has value, we're going to keep it. Everything else we're going to kill and we're going to destroy, which brings us to our second point, people-pleasing 
will start to shift the blame to others. See, there's no ownership, right? There's no ownership. You, you keep wanting to push the blame to others when something doesn't go right. Look at Scripture, verse number 10. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from me. He has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and cried to the Lord all night. I regret that I have made Saul king. This is the same type of language that we see in Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6 is where we see the flood and God was angry and he said there was, there was regret because of the way the people had rebelled and the sin that was there. He looks at Saul and he says that there's regret because of the sin and the rebellion in Saul. And yet what we see in Samuel, what we see in this prophet is he doesn't turn from God, does he? See, Saul, the king, was faithful up to a point. He was faithful up to a point and then he got very selfish because he wanted to please people. Samuel, even in the middle of the night, he was crying out to God all night long. He didn't, he didn't change. That's hard, isn't it? It's hard because it would have been so easy for Samuel to say, hey, I'm, I'm just in the back seat. You know, I'm not worried about it. The king's in control. Or even to bless it and to say, well, I mean, he, he had a better plan. You know, he had a plan. I know what the Lord called us. He pretty much did it. But he cried out all night and he woke up early the next morning and said, I've got a plan. I've got to talk to the king. Look down at verse 12. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself. And he turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. So Samuel wakes up, and he heads down to the city because, again, this, this fight just took place. There was this huge battle that took place. And Samuel was like, I'm going to go confront the king. And he goes down there, and they're like, oh, no, listen, the king went on down to Gilgal. Like, he went to the next town. But check it out. He built a monument to him. Self, himself, to the king. Like, look at this. He built a monument saying how great he is for this victory. And I, I just imagine right here Samuel's going, I cannot believe what I'm seeing. I can't believe what I'm hearing. So he goes to the next town. And when he gets there, verse 13, it says, Samuel came to Saul. And Saul, look at this greeting. Saul says to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And verse 14, Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? And Saul said, Well, they, they've brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen, the sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we've devoted to destruction. And then Samuel said to him, to Saul, stop, stop. I, I, I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, speak. Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they're consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and, and I've devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people, 
The people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Church, did you, did you see what just happened? Like that was incredible in verse 13. Samuel shows up to see the king. And the king, open arms, he's like, my man, how are you? Like, he is so excited. Look what we did. Look, I did just what the Lord told me to do. He's oblivious, isn't he? He has no clue. He's been caught up in sin and doesn't realize. Have you ever been there? You know people there, probably. Like where you're just consumed and you're caught up in sin and you don't even realize you're caught up in sin. You seen that? There's God's ways and there's our ways. And sometimes we think that God's going to change, but God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're supposed to change our ways to be in line with God. And Saul, right in this point, he doesn't get it. The king does not get how he sinned. We read this and we're like, how in the world does he miss this? How is it possible God told him to do this and he did something different? How does he not see the sin? And so Samuel helps him. Samuel says, Okay, king, if you did everything you were supposed to, why do I hear the sound of sheep in my ear? Why do I hear the sound of oxen? Guys, I don't know what an oxen sounds like, but he does, right? He's like, why do I hear the sound of oxen in my ears? I, I, I keep hearing these oxen. What seems to be the problem? You didn't do what the Lord told you to do. And did you see how he pointed the blame somewhere else? He, he acted like capturing the king was part of the plan all along. That was never part of the plan. And then did you see how he said, no, it was their fault. The people, and did you see why? Did you see the excuse why? They did it, why? So that they could give an offering to the Lord. He, he tried to make it sound really holy, didn't he? He tried to make it sound like his sin was a good thing, not a bad. Do you hear how twisted that is? And Samuel is calling him out big time right here. And that's where we're going to find our final point. People-pleasing replaces repentance with remorse. People-pleasing replaces repentance for remorse. Before we read this passage, let me explain that. Repentance means you're going along one way. You're going along a path of sin, right? It's where you stop. Repentance is where you stop. And you turn toward God and you turn away from the sin. That's what repentance is. That's not remorse. Remorse is there's sin and you get caught and you say, I'm sorry. And then you sin and you say, I'm sorry. And you ever done that in your life? I'm sorry. That's remorse. The sorry is probably sorry that you got caught. Like, that's probably what the sorry is. It's not a real repentance. Repentance is when you turn from it. That's what real repentance is. Look at Scripture, verse 22. And Samuel says, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. To listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination. And presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you from being king. Let me translate that. God does not want your fakeness. He does not want you acting spiritual. He does not want your churchianity. That's not what pleases the Lord. 
He wants your obedience. He wants your faith. He wants you at that place of where you say, I want to offer my body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And that's not where King Saul was. King Saul wasn't even close to that. In fact, when you compare the earthly king, King Saul, to Jesus, you have a very different picture, don't you? King Saul, he failed to submit to God. Jesus prevailed in what it meant to submit to God. John 6, 32 says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of my Father who sent me. Saul failed to carry out his mission that God gave him. God gave him a very clear, a perfectly clear picture of what he was called to. And he failed in it. Jesus succeeded. He conquered sin and death on the cross. Philippians 2, 8 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Saul sinned against God. Jesus prevailed by completely obeying God. He was a spotless lamb of God who took away the sins of the entire world. So I think the takeaway is it's pretty clear, isn't it? So often we follow that path of King Saul that says, I, I want the approval of people. And probably for good reason, right? I what we call good reason. I want my family happy. I want my friends happy. I, want, I, I, I don't want to create conflict around me. Or we can follow Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And as heavy as this is to end, I want to end with verse 24 through 26. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. Do you see that? I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being the king over Israel. It almost looked like Saul got it, didn't it? It almost did. And maybe if you read that too quickly, you're going to miss the fact that he didn't get it at all. He said, I, I, I sinned. I sinned against the Lord. Doesn't that almost sound like I repent? Doesn't it? But he didn't. Guys, look at verse 25 again. Verse 25 says, now I beg you. Who's he talking? He's not talking to God here. He's talking to Samuel. He's still trying to chase the applause of man by going to Samuel in verse 25 and say, I'm asking you, Samuel, to forgive me. Church, can I tell you something that you need to hear? I can't forgive you. That's not my job. I don't have the power and the authority. I'm not God. That's God's job. God is the one who forgives you, not me. Unless you decide you want to be mean and do something mean to me. Like, if you want to do something mean to me, then I've got to get alone in my prayer closet because you're going to say, Billy, will you forgive me? And i got to go to God and say, God, I don't want to forgive him. I want to be grumpy. And God's going to say, now nah, you got to forget your pastor. You kind of have to do that. It's part of the job. And it's your job, too. Just, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ, we're supposed to do that together. And so then i got to go to you and I have to say, I forgive you because you personally wronged me. But otherwise, I can't forgive you. You see, Saul's job right here should have been going to the Lord to ask for forgiveness. But he was still chasing people. He was still trying to make people happy. And I think the most heartbreaking thing, you keep reading, 
He just can't let go of it. Literally. Like he grabs a hold of Samuel's robe. Samuel turns to leave. He grabs Samuel's robe, and as Samuel keeps walking, the robe tears. I think that's kind of how he is with this kingdom as well, isn't it? He lost it. He was trying so hard to make men happy. He's still trying just to grab at his kingdom to keep all the pieces together, and he, he loses it all. I want to go back to where we started our whole conversation. We started our whole conversation with Daniel Umstead going down the mountain at 70 miles an hour. And I think that's a lot how life is. I think, man, life is moving, isn't it? We're just kind of going through this thing at crazy speeds with so much going on. And I think, unfortunately, we get distracted. We get distracted with all these voices around. We get to hearing all the people and, and culture and what, what work says and what this says and what that says. I think, I think we listen to all these voices and we get so distracted. I just want you to think about the reality of Danielle's life. Guys, if she's listening to her husband in her ear and he says go left and she accidentally goes right, it's life and death for her. Yeah, I mean, it really is. It's, it's life and death for her every time she's flying down that mountain. She has to be that tuned in to responding exactly how she's told to respond. But I think our faith journey is the same way. I really do. I think our faith journey is the same way where our job is to be so tuned in to listening to the guiding of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And when we're told to step, when we're told to forgive, when we're told to love, when we're told to move, our job is to be faithful in exactly that. Our job is to be faithful in exactly that. But again, if, I mean, if a king who seemed to have everything can fall into the trap, so can we. And maybe that's kind of where you are right now. We bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for today. And um, Lord, this is a, it was a difficult text. It's a, it's a hard message to read and to, and to preach. Yeah, Lord, all scripture, all scripture is useful for teaching. Lord, I pray for the men and the women in this room who are struggling with this right now. Because I know that there are people who are struggling with trying to keep everyone happy in their friendship circle. And so sometimes what we do is we don't speak up when we need to speak what's true, what's right, what's noble, what's good. We don't speak up. We stay silent when we shouldn't stay silent. Lord, there's times with family members, sometimes we're just frustrated with those family members. And sometimes we speak when we need to stay silent. We start wanting to give our opinion from the back seat of how things ought to be instead of listening for you and, and doing exactly what you've called us to. Lord, sometimes with our neighbors, our neighbors might be different than us. They might, they might sometimes be challenging to love, and yet you've called us to love. Not only love people who think exactly like we think, but to love everyone. Lord, help us to repent. Help us to completely turn from the sin in our lives. Help us to cut that junk out of our lives. And as we are flying down this mountain of life, 
Help open our ears so that we are hearing you in a crystal clear fashion. We know exactly what you're saying. And Lord, I know sometimes it sneaks up on us. We, we don't know exactly when you're going to speak. We don't know if it's going to be when we're at church or walking down the road or laying in the bed at night. But Lord, when we hear you, just give us the courage to be obedient. Give us the courage to do exactly what you're calling us to. Lord, again, I do thank you for Tom, and I thank you for the baptism this morning. I pray that steps so obedience like that just encourage all of us. There's always room enough for one more in God's family, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.